thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost and the words that you have spoken in this revival. Now, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Give somebody direction. Give somebody a move of God. Help someone to understand why they have went through what they went through and why they are where they are. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. I want to minister to you briefly from this message. Your misery is your ministry. Your misery is your ministry. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do, and if I have a highlighter, one of the common questions that I'm often asked by members of the church and different people is, Pastor, what is my calling? What is my ministry? I'm saved and I'm in the church. How do I find what God wants me to do? I don't want to just be sitting in the church. And that's a very, very complex question sometimes for people to really find out what it is God wants me to do. What is my purpose in ministry? Where does God have me? What is it? Because he doesn't save any of us just to sit down. Every one of you and he have a calling and a ministry. And in fact, not knowing what your ministry is can make you vulnerable to fall. And knowing what your ministry is, you have a guarantee that you will never fall. So sometime in our effort to keep people from falling, uh, we fail to give them information. And the information is a preventive measure from falling. Uh, go down to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 and 10. 2 Peter chapter 1 and 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And if you do these things, ye shall never fail. That's a guarantee that I'll never fail. It's pretty powerful there, isn't it? It looks like that's something I need to know. And he said you'll never fall. And then we read you now unto him that's able to keep you from falling. I, I want to know what it is that I can do that I'll never have to worry about coming in that office and confessing. I never have to worry about coming in that office and say, Pastor, I'm in it again. I just didn't, I'm, I'm, I need help. And you connected those to two things, my calling and my election. <laughs> Ask a person, what is your calling? I don't know. Ask a person, what is your election? I don't know. Well, that's why you continue to fail and fall in the areas you do because you don't know. Well, how, and I want to deal with how to start investigating and find out what it is that God has me to do. First of all, let me say this. 
You will never be able to minister to anybody effectively if you don't have compassion. No one is able to minister who does not have compassion. And compassion is the component to ministry. You can cook food, but if you don't know how to serve it, you're still in trouble. You got good cooks with bad attitudes. As good a meal as you cook, it's nasty because you don't have the right compassion to serve it. A good nurse in a nursing home who has all of the skills but snatching patients around and, and choking patients and pulling patients, she ain't going to work. She's going to find herself in the county jail. A good educating teacher who is smart and got all of the brain and know all the lessons but don't know how to deal with children, she in trouble. It takes a compassion to minister. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 9. We talk about the miracles that Jesus did. Matthew chapter 9 and 36. Amen. And when you got the word compassion, you have two words, come and passion. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send labors into the vineyard. Jesus looked and saw them. And just seeing the condition, he had compassion. Let me share this with you about ministry. You'll find out what your ministry is by first of all finding out what do you have passion for. If you don't have the passion for it, nine times out of ten, it may not be your ministry. Because with the ministry, God gives a passion. Before Moses became the leader of Israel, he had the passion to get him out because he killed that man that was abusing the Israelites. The passion was there. Somebody say hallelujah. As before Jesus started preaching, he looked at the multitude and compassion brought those words out of him. Somebody say hallelujah. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14 and 14. Jesus, 14 and 14, Jesus and Jesus went forth and saw great multitudes and was moved with compassion towards them and healed their sick. So all of the ministries and healing that Jesus did, he didn't just walk up to people and start laying his hands on them. He saw their conditions, saw people blinded, saw people who were walking crippled, saw people whose hands were were, were deformed, and he had passion to go heal them. That's compassion. And some folk are not compassionate about anything. And if you don't have a passion about nothing, you need to find something that you have a passion for. Even when you're going to get jobs, don't just get jobs that make money, because if you get jobs that make money, you'll be miserable. You'll have a lot of money, but hate every morning getting up and going there. That's the difference between a job and a career. 
A job is what you do to make money. A career is what you do to make money and you like doing it. And if you haven't found what you have passion for, you have not walked into your ministry yet. So you got to find that thing that gives you passion. Somebody lift your hands and say hallelujah. Give me Matthew chapter 15 and 32. Matthew 15 and 32. So again, Jesus didn't just walk up to people and start laying hands on them and, and, and hit them. He had compassion. 15 and 32, then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. And his disciples said unto him, when should we have much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Jesus said unto them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven, and a few little fish. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. Uh, passion and compassion will make you spend money that you don't have. You can teach at a school and they can give you all these lessons, plans, and stuff and don't provide you with the money. You find yourself going in Walmart, buying little things yourself out of your own money to teach those kids when you have compassion because they haven't given you all of the resources. But you want to see them talk and out of your own resources. Compassion will have you staying up at night studying lessons. And it, it is bad working with people in a system that have compassion and you don't have compassion because they, they, they'll try to tell you that you're doing too much and you're ready to go and they're lazy. They got a job. It's their job, but it's your career. So you, you're doing a project and at 5 o'clock they say, let's shut down. It's time to close. It's fine. But you say, no, let me just finish this last project to get this right for this. Now we go, we off the clock because they're on the clock but you're on the passion. Y'all ain't saying much. I wish y'all were here. People that have passion in the choir, they don't say we're practicing from five to seven. We're practicing from five to seven but we ain't got this song. Let's stay here till we get it. That's people that have passion. Are y'all with me? And compassion allows you to treat people differently because when you're doing something that you don't want to do, you're snappy. When you're doing something you don't want to do, you're irritated. When you're doing something you want to do, you're always complaining. Come on, I wish y'all was with me. Because you don't want to do it anyway. And because you don't do it, want to do it anyway, you find an excuse not to do it. And people have to push you and beg you and prime you to do it. Jesus told them, say, y'all ain't taking my life. I'm giving it. I'm dying because I got compassion. I can save myself. And in fact, the disciples told Jesus, say, why don't you send these folk away? It's too many of them to feed. You got 5,000 people. Don't foot the bill, but he had compassion. Compassion will make you spend your own money. Sometimes you got compassion. People have to tell you, say, hey, slow down. Don't, hey, hold up now. You ain't going to have nothing for yourself. But that's all a part of ministry. Hallelujah. I'm talking as I'm talking. You ought to start looking at some stuff and see about yourself. And see if that's something that, that's starting, something that you're doing that starts, yeah, maybe this is more than a job. Maybe this is a ministry. 
Matthew chapter 15, watch this. And uh, I've, I've read that, 15 and 32. Go to Matthew chapter 18 and 27. Y'all with me, saints? Just follow me, 18 and 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him. There's a, there's a move of compassion. I remember when I was in Haiti and uh, I was just there in Haiti. I brought money and I had it in my pocket and I was sitting there and Minister Tylex and Wallace, all of us were there together. And uh, uh, everything I got, if, if you got compassion, don't go to Haiti with a million dollars. You won't come back with anything. I sat there at the restaurant eating, and while I was eating, there was a lady outside of the restaurant, and she was looking and as, as if she was looking at us, and you could see the hunger in her eyes as we were eating, and she wanted something to eat. I couldn't eat my food. I couldn't order my food. I said, go tell her to come in here because she wanted something to eat. She'd say, she was doing like this. I said, no, tell her to come in here. And I brought her in the restaurant. And I said, give her what she wants. You eat with us. The tears come down her eyes. And she said something in Creole. I think she's over 50, but had never ate in a restaurant. Oh, Lord. She, you think she was a little older? Yeah. She, older lady had never ate in a restaurant. Oh, my heart was just broken. And then we went down to one of the five-star restaurants on the beach to have a business meeting in Haiti, and we were sitting down. <laughs> and as we were eating, the people were passing by. And I said, go tell everybody on the beach. Go get them. We're feeding everybody. Everybody on the beach, I don't care who they are, go get them and bring them. And I start spending their money. I said, y'all give me some money. Give me some money, Wallace. Give me some money. We're going to buy. I start taking everybody. But we're feeding everybody. Little old boy was there. And they had no problem because they had the same passion too. Little boy was there. We took, I took a $20 bill, gave it to him. And uh, 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 before I got ready to go, I was packing my clothes, getting my, ready to take my clothes with me. I started crying. I said, give all my clothes away. Leave all my clothes here. I came back for Haiti with only what I wore back because that compassion. Somebody say hallelujah. Oh, God, lift your hands up and say, Lord, give me a passion for something in the kingdom. Come on, lift your hands. Give me a passion. Come on, lift those hands up. Lord, give me a passion. And you know, I'm going to tell you this. You can really only sometimes get compassion when you've been where a person is. And some of you all don't know why your life has been shaped the way it has been shaped. And the thing that you've been through because there are some passions that come from God but some passions come from what you've been through. Hallelujah. If you've ever been thirsty, you know, and you've never, you know, if you've ever been thirsty and really wanted something to drink and couldn't get nothing to drink and you see another person thirsty and you see how they feel. If you've ever been in prison, oh Lord, if you've ever been in prison, 
And you see somebody that get out of prison. Prisoners know how to hang together. They, they know how to support each other. They know how when one get out, if you need a place to stay, I'll help you stay. They know how, they know how, to, they know how to take some noodles. <laughs> Look at that. Shamar, you must have been in there. You been in jail or something? You been somewhere? He over there beating the noodles. <laughs> it's something about prisoners when they get together, they know each other. They said, well, oh, yeah, my, my number was IC-24. <laughs> I was in bed, too. A dorm 25 was oh. So they know how to support each other because they've been there. And, 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 and because of your experiences, God sends you back because everybody don't have the passion. I cannot minister to someone in prison with the passion that it takes. Because I've never been there. I've never been there. But I can minister to fatherless young men. Our church is full of young men. And most of the young men that they're full of are fatherless young men because I have a passion for that because I was fatherless. And, I, I, and, and everywhere you see, you see men. Somebody said to me, say, man, y'all look like y'all have more young people, men in y'all church than anybody in the county. And every time I look at men, well, because I can have that kind of compassion because I know how to minister to a young man that don't have a father because I've been a young man that don't have a father. And there's a passion that I have. But had I had a father, I wouldn't know how to minister. So God let me go through that so that I can know how to minister. And everything that you're going through in your life or have been through your life, your miseries is where God is going to use you. Whoo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My mother can minister to single women, married living single women. I mean, that woman can minister to them. She can minister to women that were abused. Because she went through it with my father. She know how to tell you how to, how to survive on a budget with five kids and one income. She can talk to you. She know how to pinch a dime and squeeze a dollar. My mama may still have some of the money that my granddaddy gave her when she was a baby. <laughs> and I'm saying that because I think she could save it. She's a saver. So any of you women that have any of these issues, you know, and, and then, see, when you're talking to people about your problems and what you're going through, you don't need people you're talking to and they act like they're aggravated. They don't have time to talk to you because they don't have no passion. And you, you can watch them watching your clock. She can sit down there and talk to you all night on the phone, all night praying and so patient about it because that's her passion. You can tell when folk don't want to deal with you you sit on the phone, talk with them, and they, they drive the club. Well, 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 and they snap it. Uh, they, hello? You can't pass them if you don't like people. I love people. I love people. And I can see them 24 hours a day. I love them. I'm not mean to them. I'm not nasty to them. I love them. And, and, and you know, one of the problems is, and I'm going to go to this other scripture, one of the problems is we got in church, why the church is so empty, because we got a lot of pastors who got positions but no passion. They like that money. They like that check. And, and, and ain't no way you can preach 
And when you get through preaching, every Sunday, go right out the door and not shake nobody's hand, don't speak to anybody. In fact, Pat, I, I said this year, I said one of the things I'm going to make sure I do this year, every single Sunday, because I don't get a chance to get all y'all, and sometimes I tell y'all, come on, give me a hug, and y'all get your stuff, and you're going back, because I, I like to look in your eye and let you know that I love you. And I, you have to do like the older men. See, older ministers used to do this, so I'll do this every Sunday. Older ministers, when they got through and preached, they went right in the front door and met you going out and shook your hand and greeted you. So I say every Sunday, I started it this year. Every Sunday, now some of y'all, y'all stay in church a long time, even after church, so I have to come back in and get y'all later. But I start heading back to that door and because I want, I, want, I want to feel that passion and feel that. Well, people, and people know that. That's why I can get calls 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. Pastor, could you pray for me? Is this going on? Because if they knew, they said, no, no, you know, don't call Pastor after 9. He'll cut you out. <laughs> people see their pastor, they wave in passion. They're not come showing up at the house. They're not uh, walking up to him. So they don't have that passion. When you got compassion, you go to hospital and visit folk. When you got compassion, you go to games and stuff, you don't even know what you're watching. <laughs> I don't even like football. But I went to some just to go and watch people eat. It's been so long since I've been in a, uh, under, uh, in, 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 into whose team is who, whose team is who. I haven't had an interest in football since Tony Dorsett and Tutal Jones. You know, that's a long time. <laughs> Amen. And if you ask me anything outside of that, I ain't, I, I'm out. I never had no interest in that. that ain't, that ain't my passion. My passion is ministry and people. But that passion allows me to go places that I don't like going. I go there because I like the people that are involved in it. In the book of, uh, of, of, of Hebrews 5, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifice for sin. Who can, this verse 2, who can have compassion on the ignorant or on, that, or on them that are out of the way? For he himself also has compassion with affirmation. So the, the question is, that, who can have compassion on the, on the ignorant and those that are out of the way? You know, uh, when people are coming to church who are backslid or people are coming to church who are in sin or people who are coming to church have strayed away from God or in certain conditions, you can't send every saint to minister to them. Only a man, somebody who have got out of a drug house can know how to efficiently minister to people. And only somebody that has been, and when I say only, I'm saying with the level of compassion that's needed. We've got too many mean people working the altars. People who are working the altars who never struggle with drugs. So they see somebody that was there last Sunday and this Sunday and the Sunday before last and this Sunday. And they say, they need to just get over that drug habit. I don't know why they keep on coming. Either they need to stop it or, uh, or just, I, every time I turn around, they're coming back with that drug habit. But you see, if you got somebody who was on Christ and couldn't break Christ and God broke them through Christ, they can have patience with that person. 
So that's why sometimes at the altar, I appoint certain people with certain people. Amen. Because those people know what I'm really going through. Some of y'all don't know what people are going through. You're just talking from, from, but you're not talking from experience. But when you talk about something from experience, you can have a compassion on people. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Can somebody say hallelujah? Can somebody give God a praise? And I want to tell you so that you can get this straight. Every experience that you have had in life, whether it is negative, whether it is positive, every single experience, that bad relationship, the man that beat you upside your head, your mama that didn't treat you right, the people that abused you, the people that done you wrong on the job, the people that fired you wrong, every single thing that happened to you, God said, I'm going to use it for my good. All things work together. And that's really the true ministry that you have. You've got to understand when God has positioned your life to minister and have positioned you to be in certain experiences. Some of us are ashamed to use those things, but those are the very thing that God wants to use. God didn't hide the bad stuff and the miserable stuff about people in the Bible. He didn't hide David's situation. He didn't hide Samson's situation. He didn't hide Solomon's situation. He didn't hide that Rahab was a harlot. He, wait a minute, you would like to paint her as this good person, but Rahab, Rahab was selling more than chicken dinners. And God used this prostitute or this whore to help two men take over Jericho. By a prostitute in the red light district putting out a scarlet thread out of her window, a whole city was taken. And God said, I want you to know that wasn't, see, we like to paint people good. God wants you to know that wasn't no missionary or no Sunday school teacher that was a harlot. Because I want you to know I can use anybody. If I can use a harlot to bring victory to Jericho, I can use you. And somebody ought to say hallelujah. Put your hand together and give God a praise. Why does he put the fact that Abraham was a liar? Abraham lied and said Sarah was his sister. He was deceptive. Why did they put that in there? Because I want you to know that I can use that kind of person too. My God, can somebody put your hand together and give God a praise and say hallelujah. Come on, somebody ought to praise him. Somebody ought to praise him. Grab somebody by the hand, look them in the eye and say, the devil's trying to use your past, but God want to use it too. Somebody ought to give God a praise and say hallelujah. I have anybody that can give God a praise and say, thank you, Jesus. Why does God put the fact, and you know, we like to put all of our good about our life out, but after God puts this nice, unique story about Noah building this beautiful ark and saving all these animals and all this wonderful stuff that he did, at the end of it, God said he got sloppy drunk. So drunk his own son molested him or raped him. Why does God put the people bad news in there? Why did he put Lot escape from prison and then his two daughters had a sexual relationship with him? Because somehow in the end, God makes all this stuff tie in together. 
Let, let me give you an example, if you can just take this. Just take example how God uses Noah's life and his drunkenness to show salvation. All right? Noah repented. that God repented that he made man. Then God sent the flood and put Noah in the ark. After God put Noah in the ark, Noah let out, a, uh, let out a dove, and the dove returned, and the dove returned to let them know uh, that it was still water on the ground. Then the dove left and never came back. But after the flood, after this great experience with the water, the next thing that Noah does is get drunk. Why? Because God wants to show us after water baptism in the name of Jesus, you will get drunk and filled with the Holy Ghost. You mean you, you mean you're gonna use this drunk man's condition to parallel that to being baptized and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost? You don't know what negative part of your life that God wants to use to bring something positive out of it. My God, can somebody say hallelujah? Can you put your hand together and give God a praise and say hallelujah? Tell somebody God can use your mess. My God, somebody ought to give God a praise and say hallelujah. Somebody ought to give God a praise and say hallelujah. Somebody ought to put your hand together and give God a praise and say hallelujah. God uses checked up situations to bring salvation out of it. Let me give you an example of that. Jacob is going to get married. He's intending to marry this beautiful girl named Rachel. His father-in-law fools him and give him Leah, the not-so-ugly girl. Not so pretty girl, the tender-eyed girl. He gives her to Jacob. She gets pregnant with Judah. But this is the one that he didn't want. This is the one that he was tricked into getting. She's not his type. He doesn't like her. And he treats her bad. And she's abused verbally because he, he doesn't want her. But out of Leah comes Judah. And out of Judah comes Jesus. He can use your bad to bring something positive. Somebody say hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. I know tonight as you sit here, Mother Coward, and look 51 years later. Hallelujah. 51 years later as of December the 24th. 51 years later, sitting on the front row of a church, 3707 Avenue M, you can look and see, because I'm a product of rape, you can look and see 51 years later, whatever happened to you 51 years later, God turned that around. Now, that 51-year-old later tragedy is a blessing to you and sitting and ministering to you. That Come on, somebody. That 51 years ago, God took what should have destroyed you and ran you crazy. Now it's ministering to you and ministering back to you. Somebody say hallelujah. It may be 20 years later. It may be 50 years later. It may be 30 years later. But God promised you all things will work together for the good of them who love the Lord, who are the call according to his purpose. I don't care what it is that you messed up on. God can use it for his glory. Somebody say hallelujah. Put your hand together and give God a praise. 
David messed up with Bathsheba and ended up having a child that died. But that second child from Bathsheba came Solomon, who was the wisest man in the world, and built him a temple. God can use your mess-ups to give you a comeback. And I want to tell you everything that the enemy has put in your face, every failure that you've made, every mistake that you've made, God said, I can use your misery to give you a ministry. Somebody ought to praise God and give God a praise and say thank you. And God said, I'm going to send you back to some places that you don't want to go. I'm going to send you back to some people that you won't, don't want to deal with. I'm going to send you back to some places that they're going to shorn you and not going to like you. But I want to show them that I'm going to use you in a way that you never thought. You got to understand, we talk about Moses going back to the children of Israel and telling Pharaoh to let his people go. But what you've got to understand, Moses didn't walk away from Egypt. He ran away from Egypt. After killing somebody, he is a convicted felon. His name and pictures are on the board, wanted for murder, and he's out. Somebody say hallelujah. And uh, Moses thinks, I'm done. I'll never go back to Egypt again. My family's down there. Pray the Lord, it's over. I've lost the passion. He lost the passion to fight because sometimes you can have a ministry, but things that people do to you can make you lose your passion. When you don't have the support of people and you're trying to do something, it can make you lose your passion. When you want a good choir and half of the choir members won't work, it will make you lose your passion. When you've got this dedication for the sound and people don't want to work with it, it makes you lose your passion. When you've got this, this really zeal for the young people and parents won't bring their children to the meetings you can lose your passion y'all ain't said nothing when you got this passion to really beautify the church and somebody keep on throwing stuff and dirtying up and just make your head shake and say forget it it'll make you lose your passion but God knows how to give you your passion back when you're passing in the church and people halfway come to Bible study it'll make you lose your passion when you got committees and auxiliaries and people just Seem like they won't get with it. They will make you lose your passion. Moses lost his passion because he was trying to defend the children of Israel and bring this man out of a situation where he was about to be killed and the people that he was trying to help are the ones that end up getting him killed. Trying to get him killed. Uh, Moses is trying to help the man and he's killed this man and hides his body and now Moses has two of the, the Hebrew Israelites that are fighting with each other and Moses is saying to them don't fight each other brothers don't do that and they said you're going to kill us like you did that other Egyptian and got the word back to Pharaoh and Moses had to run and Moses said forget all of them I'm free I'm going to leave them exactly where they are I'm going I'm going to get me a wife I got married and 40 years Moses wasn't studying nobody in Egypt he didn't send no text message he didn't go down there to visit he didn't care what they were doing but while Moses was out keeping sheep. Amen. The Lord appeared to him in a fire and he looked at the fire and God started talking out of the fire. The fire is coming back to your life. And some of you that have lost your zeal, God said you're getting ready to have a meeting with the fire. Amen. Some of you that have given up, glory to God, 
Lord and you're in the wilderness, you've got your little stuff together, you just feel calm, I don't have to deal with that no more, no, this year you're going to have a fire meeting, this year God is going to meet you in your wilderness you've got to go back, oh glory to God, God's going to give you your passion back, look at somebody and tell them God's going to give you your passion back, my God I wish I had somebody here that can give God a praise <laughs> Woo! glory to God. Amen. It is fire that brings passion. And some of us today we have gotten the Holy Ghost. We have been filled with the Holy Ghost. But there's so much have happened that we have forgot. When you get the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is a package deal. You don't get eggs without the shell in the yolk in the white. All of that come together. When you got the Holy Ghost, you weren't supposed to just get the Holy Ghost. He said he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire but somehow in the church we've lost our fire we've lost our zeal people have talked it out of us we don't shout no more we don't work no more we've just lost the fire but tonight I'm telling you the Lord is going to give you your fire back the Lord is going to give you your fire back can somebody put your hand together and give God a praise and say hallelujah Woo! Shut up on your side he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire it is fire that you need when you feel like giving up it is fire that you need when you feel like stopping every saint of God goes to a period that you're so discouraged by what's going on that you want to stop it happened to Jeremiah he's preaching to people showing them what the Lord wanted to show them and they come to tell him we're going to put you in the dungeon for preaching and Jeremiah said that's fine and Jeremiah wrote a resignation to the Lord now you know something is when you write a resignation to the Lord he told the Lord he said Lord you didn't deceive me you weren't truthful to me you called me out here to preach and told me when I was a little boy that before I was in my mother's womb you ordained me and these folk are giving me hell I won't preach no more in fact I won't even mention your name and Jeremiah went to bed and he said the word of the Lord was like fire I know some of you all have thrown in the tower and given up but tonight when you get ready to go to bed the Holy Ghost and the fire are going to get a hold of you you're going to get your fire back. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Don't you sit here and look at me like you don't hear me. I tell you tonight, you're going to get your zeal back. You're going to run again. You're going to work again. Say yeah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Grab somebody by the hand and said, I want the fire back. Ah, yes. I got the Holy Ghost, but I want that fire. I want that fire. I want that working power. I want that seal. Woo! Somebody say hallelujah. The Bible said the Lord spoke to Moses out of the fire. And the Lord said to Moses, take 
take off your shoes. I want you to take them off because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Somebody say hallelujah. Look at somebody and say God is getting ready to speak to you out of the fire. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. This year you can't serve without fire. You can't preach without fire. You can't sing without fire. You can't work without fire. Somebody say hallelujah. You that seem like your zeal is gone. You that feel like your determination is gone. Lift up your hands and say Lord, send the fire. Lord, I want the fire again. I know I got the Holy Ghost because I'm speaking in tongues. But I need the fire. I need the zeal. I need the want to do. Hallelujah. Put your hand together and give God a praise. And the Bible says that Moses went back to Egypt reluctantly. And when he went down to Egypt, he says, God told him, go tell Pharaoh that I want him to let my people go. Ah, God understands that Moses has the passion and the know-how. Why couldn't he use Aaron? Aaron was there. But what God did, he strategically put Moses where we thought he was kidnapped, where he thought that it was bad because he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. But what God did, she thought she was taking an Israelite's child. But what God was doing was setting him in there as an informant to see how the Egyptians think, to see how the Egyptians move. So for 40 years, where they thought that Moses was kidnapped, he was learning how the Pharaoh thinks. He was learning how the Egyptians operate. So for 40 years, he's a spy and then don't even know he's a spy. And then God sends the one that's been in the house 40 years. He said, now go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Can somebody say hallelujah? Put your hand together and give God a praise and say hallelujah. Moses knew the strategy of Pharaoh because he was kidnapped in the house of Pharaoh. You that's been on drugs, you know the strategy of drugs. You know how it affects people. You know how drugs talk. You know how drug addicts do. I'll never forget I had a brother, hallelujah. Ah, brother Percy. He had went out and he was we were trying to work with him. And he went back in the streets and he went to get some crack. And I didn't know where he was. I mean, we were getting ready to pray for him. He slipped out of there so fast it's like he disappeared. And I didn't know where to go look for him. And one of the other brothers that had been in it, he said, I'll tell you where you need to go. I'll tell you where the hole is. And so just as sure 
as he told me, just where he said he would be, that's where he was at. Let me tell you something. God can use your former bondage to give deliverance to somebody else. Moses walked, hallelujah, into the nation of Egypt and told Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Moses understood the strategy of the Egyptians. And on the night that God got ready to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, you know the way this works. Take them through the water. Somebody say hallelujah. Glory to God because I know how the Egyptians fight. They're going to think that they are entrapped in. They're going to think that they're stuck. That's what the Egyptians thought. So even though he let them go, he didn't really think they were going to leave. He thought they were going to back them up. And God said, let them do that way. And God said, but when I take it out, I'm going to open the Red Sea and I'm going to deliver them one once and for all, the Egyptians whom you will see, you will see them no more. Somebody say hallelujah. Look at somebody and say neighbor. God's got a strategy to deal with your past. God's got a strategy to deal with your failures. God God's got a strategy. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Can you put your hand together and give God a praise? Somebody say hallelujah. And so God used Moses, the fugitive, to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Somebody say glory. Hallelujah. Yes, God can use your past to minister now. Can you say glory? Could you imagine the stress that Mary was under when they told her that she was pregnant outside of wedlock? Amen. From God. Can you imagine how embarrassing it was? How people picked at her. Amen. For 33 years. Girl, you telling a lie. God ain't never got nobody pregnant. You're lying. You and Joseph been fooling around. And somebody need to check Joseph about if he believed that lie. And so for 33 years, amen, they called her a fornicator. For 33 years, they pointed fingers on her. But 33 years later, Mary's baby was wounded for our transgression, bruise for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with the stripes, we are healed. Can you look at Mary, who went through all the gossip? People in the beauty parlor said she's a liar. It was the head of the newspaper articles. Woman lies and said Jesus is the son of God but that night when he got out of the ground she could shout and rejoice and say didn't I tell you he was the lily of the valley didn't 
Didn't I tell you he was the bright and morning star? Didn't I tell you he was the rose of Sarah? Look at somebody and say, neighbor, I'll be back again with my testimony. Laugh at me now, but I'll be back to tell you. Yeah! Yeah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Grab your neighbor by the hand and say, neighbor, God, gonna use all of it, all of the leftovers, all of the lies, all of the mistakes, all of the errors, he gonna use it all. Somebody say, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and tell him God is going to use it all. There are two parts of your story. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, 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 joy is coming in the morning. Somebody say, yeah. Hug somebody and say, neighbor, my test is about to become my testimony. My test is about to become my testimony. Hug somebody and say, neighbor, Hallelujah. 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 Grab your neighbor by the hand and say, neighbor, I don't care what the devil throw at you. God going to use it for his good. I don't care what your family do. God going to use it for his good. I don't care how many lies been told on you. God's going to use it for his good. Grab somebody and say, neighbor, God's going to use everything to take you higher. Look at somebody and say, God is going to use everything to take you higher. The other day, when I went to the hospital to visit Marcus, I got on the elevator and I didn't understand the symbol outside. And when I got on, I pushed the button to go up and I didn't realize that the elevator was going down. And the man in the elevator, he said, sir, this elevator is heading in another direction. But if you stay on, after I get out, it'll go back up. I tell you, sometimes you feel like you're on the wrong elevator. Sometimes look like you're going down. Your money going down. Your family going down. But stay there. Stay there. Stay there. And it will come back up again. When Jesus died, he went on the cross, went down in the basement. But one night, the elevator came back up. He got up and said, all power, all power, power, power. 
Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't step off the church elevator yet. I know it's going down. Hallelujah. Hurt in your life. Pain in your life. Just stay there. Just stay there. It's coming up again. Somebody say, yeah. Those that wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. Mount up. Mount up with the wings of an eagle. Hug somebody and say, neighbor, stay on the elevator. Hug your neighbor and say, stay on the elevator. Hallelujah. Stay there. You might have to cry, but stay there. You might have to weep, but stay there. Somebody say, yeah. I know sometimes when the elevator goes down, you want to step out. But grab somebody by the hand and say, neighbor, this is not my floor. This is not my floor. Hell and havoc is not my flow. Broke and disgusted is not my flow. Y'all ain't sending. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna stay here. Tell her go higher. I'm gonna stay here. I I I'm gonna stay here till I go higher. Higher. Ha ha. Are you gonna go? I'm gonna go high enough to go through the atmosphere, the stratosphere. I'm going higher in the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. I'm going higher until I step out as soon as my feet strike Zion. I'm going higher. somebody to put your hand together and praise God. Put them together and praise. Put them together and praise. Everybody praise God for all that you've been through. Praise God for every storm. Praise God for every test. Praise God for the ups. Praise God for the downs. Praise God. We told grab somebody tell them God's going to use it for your good. Oh, my, 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 my. Shantalamua. Tell somebody God's going to use it for your good. Your good. Hababosha. Idianda. This is what I want you to do tonight. I want you to praise God 
for every storm you're going through, lift your hands up. Every test. Every test. Then I want you to pray about what ministry God has given you. And let the Lord know I want my passion. I want my compassion. I want my zeal for the work that you've given me. I know you've given me something to do. The enemy don't want me to do it. I've been through so many. Just play something. Amen. Play something. Amen. God, I praise you. Lift those hands up. Lift them up. Lift them up. Make some steps towards the altar while your hands are lifted up. That's a good one. That's a good one. Come up to the altar. We're getting ready to pray. Come on. Papa, my Sunday had that.